to you. Jesus often greeted people like that, didn't he? When he walked into a room, peace be unto you. He is the Prince of Peace, and I think sometimes we forget that. Uh, you're going to need your Bibles today. We're going to go through some texts, and you're going to be going from Scripture to Scripture, and um, I, I, I think it's good. I think it's healthy for a church, I think it's healthy for people to flip uh, from page to page or uh, go from, as Brian is doing, from electronic to electronic. Uh, but uh, we're going to start in Luke chapter 2 today. Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 7. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths. And laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. Verse 10, and the angel said to them, don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all people. For today, in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ our Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts plant, uh, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men on whom his favor rests. And it came about when the angels had gone away from them into, Beth, into heaven that the shepherds began saying to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known us. Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. The first thing I'd like you to notice in this text is that this multitude of angels it is described by Luke as a heavenly host. I was talking with Ross Winkle at some time in my office, I don't even remember when it was, and I mentioned something about the angels singing this wonderful announcement, and I think he said something to the effect of, oh, they weren't singing. And I said, well, what do you mean? Well, a heavenly host, that is an angel army. That's the language for an army. They weren't singing, they were announcing. And I thought that was pretty cool. I always thought they sang, and I kind of still want them to sing, so thanks for ruining that, Ross. But, uh, but, but they were giving a loud announcement. They were actually giving a battle cry. This was a, this was a call to war, almost. And the call to war is glory to God and peace to men. Peace. 
The war cry was peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Peace on earth is something that this world has never seen. Not this side of the Garden of Eden anyway. From the very first sibling spat that, that resulted in Cain standing over a bloodied Abel, this earth has longed for peace. Humanity has yearned for peace. Instead, what we've seen for thousands and thousands of years is strife after strife after strife. Yet the angel army announces this call for peace on earth and goodwill toward men. This wasn't a pronouncement of fact that the angels gave. It wasn't, the angels weren't saying this is how it is on earth right now. We know the reason that Jesus was born in Bethlehem was because the oppressors, the Romans, forced everybody at sword point and spear point to go to where they were supposed to register for a census. And this census was all about money. They were being sent there because they needed to count the people so that they could know how much to tax everybody in every region. Taxation without representation. Peace on earth and goodwill toward men wasn't a pronouncement of fact. It was a, it was a war cry. It was, it was an announcement of God's plan on how he was going to save the world from the devil and his schemes through this little peaceful baby lying in a manger. Peace. That's the plan. That's the announcement. That's the longing of God's heart for every nation and every individual in every nation. It's his longing in his heart for you that you be at peace in your life. The Bible speaks of three different levels of peace on earth. It talks about how the world and, and nations should be at peace. It talks about how you can experience peace in the face of storms in your life. And then it talks about this inner peace, this peace that passes all understanding. And I'd like to spend just a little bit of time on each of these things. God's way, number one, God's desire for all nations, all nations, is that they stop the violence of war and go after the way of peace. This is God's desire for his world, that there be no war, but that nations focus more on peace. There was a politician in the United States of America that I always thought had a screw loose, just a little wacky. His name was Dennis Kucinich. Do you remember him? Remember him? I think he was from one of the states that starts with an O. I don't remember which one. But, but I, I, I always, what, what? Ohio. Ohio. Okay, it ends with an O too. Um, I remember when he was running for president, I remember one of the things he said was, the first thing I'm going to do is establish a new department in the White House. It's going to be called the Department of Peace. And I thought, what a wacko. That's what I thought at the time. What a, what a nutcase. A Department of Peace. Come on. He didn't last a minute, you know. 
I'm not, sur- I, I'm not so sure that's such a bad idea. Turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. And we're going to start in verse 2. This is God's dream for his people. This is God's dream for the world. This is God's dream, in my opinion, for the United States of America. It's his dream for Angwin. It's his dream for our church. And it's his dream that should be coming fulfilled any time now, because if you believe we're in the last days, this is what this is talking about. Verse 2. Now it will come about in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it. And many peoples will come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways and that we may walk in his paths. Well, what are his ways? What does it mean to walk in the path of God? For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord will come from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations, and will render decisions for many peoples, and they will hammer their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. Remember the song? Ain't gonna study war no more. Ain't gonna study war no more. Ain't gonna study war no more no more. What would it be like if every nation had this prophecy fulfilled in their capitals, amongst their politicians, and amongst their people? What would this world like? This text is saying, in the last days, this is supposed to happen. This is God's desire. This is his way. This is his path. That we beat our nukes into plows and pruning shears. The way of the Lord is peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And in Israel's case, peace wasn't something that they were even considering. Because they had always been focused on greed and on violence. They thought that war was the only means to peace. If you want peace, you conquer your enemy, and when they are put down, then you can have peace. They thought that greed and pride were the way to go, ignoring the poor and the widowed. Maybe somehow if we just shove them to the side, they're such a nuisance, we can have peace. They thought, maybe if I can just get more stuff for myself, I can have peace. In the same book of Isaiah, God says, look at what you've done. You've shoved your Sabbath 
to the side so that you can get what you want. You're always pursuing, always wanting more, and you're never satisfied. Revelation 14 says people like this will have no rest day or night because they're a part of what we call Babylon. A nation that goes after material things and will even go to war to preserve those material things. A nation that does that is an idolatrous nation. And when a collective group of individuals have no peace, then a nation can have no peace. And it will always result to violence in order to somehow try to attain that peace. For as long as human beings have been collecting themselves in groups, in cities, in states, and in empires, they have been duped into believing that somehow, some way, peace can be achieved through violence and war. Even though Jesus said, those who live by the sword will die by the sword, we don't believe it. Men and women through Earth's history, they just don't believe it. We use war to gain peace. And it simply never works. There may be a moment of peace, some years of peace when a battle is won, for one side, but not lasting peace. Not peace on Earth, goodwill toward men. Not that. Not God's peace. Our scripture text for today pictures Jesus about to ride down into Jerusalem and they're waving palm branches and they're screaming out Hosanna and they're saying peace, peace. They are proclaiming the peace of God that Isaiah was prophesying about. But Jesus stops above the city and he starts to weep. In fact, the city that he loves that's just right before him, that he's about to go in and clear the temple of the robbers, the people that are oppressing the poor. He stops and he looks at this city and he starts to weep. Because it's breaking his heart. He has laid down in the Sermon on the Mount, this is what the new kingdom should look like. This is what the, revelation, the, the, the revolution should be. How we treat each other has to change. We have to create peace. Not through violence, but through peace and love. And the city just isn't buying into it. They just don't get it. And Jesus sees the future of a city like this. It already happened once. Babylon came, sacked the whole place, took a bunch of captives, killed a whole bunch of people. And Jesus saw that it was just going to happen again with another Babylon, this time named Rome. In A.D. 70, when you read history's account of what happened to Jerusalem and Rome, uh, to, by, through Rome, the bodies piled upon bodies, piled upon bodies, rivers of blood. It was horrific. And Jesus, seeing this in the future, it's breaking his heart because it didn't have to happen. 
The greed could stop. The pride could stop. The war could stop. The violence could stop. If people would do things his way. It's easy to believe in Jesus, but it's very difficult to believe in Jesus' ideas. He sits there on that colt above the city. And in verse 42 of chapter 19, Luke 19, starting in verse 42. If you had known in this day, even you, the things which make for peace. But now they've been hidden from your eyes. For the days shall come upon you when your enemies will throw up a bank before you and surround you and hem you in on every side and will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave you one stone upon another because you didn't recognize the time of your visitation. God on earth, right there, the Father in flesh, walking among them saying, here's the way to peace. This is how you do it. You can have your peace, Jesus. We choose war. I mean, God started early in his warning. He sent Kings to Jerusalem. Hey, where's the new king that's coming? He served notice. The response was violence. When Jesus spoke peace in his own synagogue, the response was all of his congregation trying to take him and throw him off a cliff. This isn't the way we do things, Jesus. In 1905, Mark Twain wrote a short story called The War Prayer. And it was so controversial that his family didn't let him publish it. And it wasn't published until after he died. They didn't let him publish it because they were afraid of the repercussions that would come from publishing this short story. You can look it up. It's, it's called The War Prayer. So he wrote this around the time of the Spanish-American War and the Philippine-American War. And, 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 uh, and, and when he wrote this, he was seeing some things that bothered him. And it was his responses. Now, Mark Twain didn't believe in God. As far as I know, he was an atheist. I think one of the quotes that he has that, that I don't know why it's one of my favorite quotes because I don't, <laughs> I don't subscribe to it. But he said, faith is believing in what you know ain't so. In this short story, he portrays a, a nation going to war. American flags are all over the place, littering the neighborhoods with, with flags and patriotism. There's parades, and, and all of the young men are saying, sign me up, I want to go to war. The churches are full. And on one particular Sunday, there is a preacher who stands up, and he is celebrating the, 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 the efforts of the soldiers that are going to war. And toward the end of the service, he decides he's going to pray over these soldiers. And he prays the most beautiful prayer. 
The most beautiful prayer. It's a prayer that, that, that says, Lord, be with our soldiers. Give them victory. Give our nation victory in this righteous cause, in this righteous war. And, and it's just this beautiful, beautiful prayer. As he's praying, as his head is bowed and his eyes are closed, a stranger walks into the church, an old man, long gray beard, and he silently makes his way up the aisle while everybody's in prayer. And by the time the preacher is done praying, he, he, he opens his eyes and he looks over and there's a man standing next to him. And the man says, please, I'd like the pulpit. And he ushers the preacher aside. And the man says, be careful what you pray for. Because you might benefit from this prayer. But there's two sides to every prayer. And unwittingly, you have prayed that other side this morning. And before you say amen, before you say, this is our prayer, you need to hear the other side of the prayer that you just prayed. And I will pray that prayer to mighty God right now. And at the end of the prayer, if this whole prayer is your desire, then you may say amen. And he starts to pray. Lord, our Father, our young patriots, idols of our hearts, go forth into battle. Be thou near them, with them, in spirit, we also go forth from the sweet peace of our beloved firesides to smite the foe. O Lord our God, help us tear their soldiers' bodies to bloody shreds with our shells. Help us to cover their smiling fields with the pale forms of their patriot dead. Help us to drown the thunder of the guns with the shrieks of their wounded writhing in pain. Help us to lay waste their humble homes with the hurricane of fire. Help us to wring the hearts of their unoffending widows with unavailing grief. Help us to turn them out roofless with their little children to wander unfriended in the wastes of their desolated land in rags and hunger and thirst. Sports of the sun flames in summer and icy winds of winter, broken in spirit, worn with travail, imploring thee for the refuge of the grave and you denying it. For our sakes, who adore thee, Lord, blast their hopes, blight their lives, protract their bitter pilgrimage, make heavy their steps. Water their way with tears. Stain the white snow with the blood of their wounded feet. We ask all this in the spirit of love. Of him who is the source of love. And who is ever faithful refuge and friend of all that are sore beset. And seek his aid with humble and contrite hearts. Amen. He said, if this is your prayer, then say amen. The short story ends with these words. It was believed afterward that the man was a lunatic because there was no sense in what he said.
You see, peace for me and violence for someone else is not God's dream. The angels didn't proclaim peace in your country and peace for your countrymen. They said peace on earth and goodwill toward men. If war achieves my peace but leaves others broken and war-torn, it's not real peace. I don't have God's peace. I may not have violence on me right now, but as long as there is an Aleppo, I can't have peace. It's not God's peace. Jesus proclaimed the way he thought earth should be in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the peacemakers because peacemakers are the children of God. He was addressing not individuals in the Sermon on the Mount. He was addressing his nation in the Sermon on the Mount. This is the way. Walk ye in it, Jerusalem. Stop with thinking a Messiah is going to stand up and smite the enemy. That's not my way. No, we turn the other cheek. We love our enemies. We pray for those who persecute us. God desires that his children be peacemakers, not at the expense of others, but to the benefit of all. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. The second kind of peace that the Bible talks about is peace during the storm. Of course, when we think of a peace during the storm, we, we picture Jesus in the back of the boat and that boat is rocking and rolling and the disciples are freaking out and they wake him up and he goes and he stands, I imagine, at the bow of the boat and says, peace, be still. Hard to do that without thinking of Richard Nixon, isn't it? Peace, be still. And the, and the wildness just goes, Whoo. He can calm the storm. But he did that in so many ways, didn't he? When, he was, when the crowd was anything but peaceful and they were going and he was going to heal somebody from getting dead. Remember the woman that touched the hem of his garment and he says, whoo, power went out of me. Remember what he said to her in Mark chapter 5, verse 34? He says to this daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. The relief that any of us feel when the doctor says, hey, the test came back in your favor. Woo, peace. When we get that phone call, hey, you've got the job. Woo, peace. When our young one comes in safely at two in the morning, <laughs> woo, peace. When your husband who's a pastor who's out late at night doesn't call like he's supposed to and, and he has a wife, possibly this could happen to somebody that, that thinks he's in a ditch dying somewhere and I don't know where he is and he comes in at 11 o'clock after visiting with some people. Oh, peace. And scolding and then peace. <laughs> we all long for this kind of peace. 
Jesus spoke peace into people's lives and he expects his followers to do the same. He and the writers of the Bible spoke about living peaceably with each other. Here's some texts if you're writing things down, just a few of them. Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Romans 14, 19. So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Read the Sermon on the Mount if you want to know the things that make for peace. Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. The last kind of peace that I just want to mention this morning is this. Philippians 4, starting in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. It's Christmas. Tell your children to be anxious for nothing. See how that works out for you. You better start teaching them peace right away. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Lay everything at the feet of God. Take all your anxieties. Take everything that's just crippling you and lay it all at the feet of God. And verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. I cannot tell you how many times I have walked into the storm of somebody's life when things were just falling apart, they were having a Job-like experience. And in the midst of the storm, the storm is there. The storm's not gone. The storm is there. I hear the words, but you know what? I'm trusting in God. I don't know what he's got going on, and this really is not pleasant, but I know he's here in the storm with me, and, and, and that's going to sustain me. I've got that peace. There are people in this congregation right now that are going through hell. And I'm amazed every time I visit with them. The attitude that they have because they're so grounded in Jesus Christ. Nothing can shake them. And I'm telling you, I shouldn't say nothing can shake them. They get shaken, but they don't get shaken out of the boat into the water. Because they're so grounded in Jesus. The peace that passes understanding. There's something about that. I have sat next to deathbed after deathbed after deathbed as a pastor where people were in so much anxiety. And once they just laid it all out and just said, okay, Lord, I'm yours. I forgive that person that I've been holding a grudge against. I, I, I'm yours. I, I just want to be clean. After the fight, the battle against death, as soon as they just trust God, they, they sleep in peace. I've told you the story about the, the old lady that I was visiting in the hospital. I didn't know her. I was in another room, and some nurse grabbed me and brought me into this other room. You nurses, Brenda, you guys got to watch what you're doing, grabbing pastors and throwing them in rooms. This lady that the nurse explained to me, she's in so much angst. She's just fighting death. And I talked with her, and she was in angst because somebody had told her along the way that her husband was in hell suffering, and when she died, she had to go to heaven because she believed in Jesus, and oh boy, she was a mess. 
I don't want to be eternity in there, and he's going to be eternally suffering. Oh, I just can't stand it. And I just opened the Bible, and from Genesis to Revelation, said, let me show you what the Bible really says about death and hell. And at the end of the, the Bible study, she was in tears. She said, oh, man, God is so much better than I thought he was. <laughs> I prayed with her. The nurse called me just hours later. And the nurse's words were, she fell asleep, and I think she fell asleep with Jesus. The peace that passes all understanding happens when you ground yourself in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You see the Father through his eyes. You live a life at peace with your brothers and sisters, even in your family with weird Uncle Wilton. This is the peace that I'm reminded of at Christmas. While we're taking up the offering and while Wendy's singing, focus on that peace.